If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 54. That's where we're going to be. And uh, I've got a few things I want to just work through uh, this morning. I've called the Sunday Cornerstone Sunday, and this is the kind of thing. Cornerstone Sunday, once a year, possibly twice a year, um, I want to have a time when we stop and we reflect on what we're doing as a church what are some of the key areas that we want to focus on and how we might work together in order to see God's kingdom built right here in Trinity and what he's called us to do? This idea of a cornerstone is essentially a biblical concept, not something I've come up with, something that I've taken out of the scripture and I'm applying it into this context as well. But essentially a cornerstone was a principal stone that was set in the corner of a building and it served as a reference for aligning the rest of the construction. If you look at Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, the stone it was a stone that was placed at the corner or the intersecting angle where two walls of a building come together. And in biblical times, buildings were often made of cut squared stone, unlike our wooden houses today, right? Um, but you not, by uniting two intersecting walls, a cornerstone helped align the whole building and tie it together. Now I'm telling you this because as I unpack what I'm speaking about today, I want you to understand that this is not just about a sermon, this is about aligning the way we build together. So when I say Cornerstone Sunday, what am I talking about? I'm talking about a Sunday where we stop to consider how we might coordinate, look at key areas and align our efforts to ensure increased fruitfulness in all that we do. Now, now let, me, let me tell you this. When I grew up, um, I learned to drive with a stick shift. Is that the right, right word? Who knows what I'm talking about? All the older people are like, yes, amen, we know. That's how it works. When I came to the U.S., it was like, everything's automatic. I'm like, that's fantastic. I'm not upset with that, especially in traffic. That's great. When you're sitting on some of those, you know, you don't want a stick shift when you're kind of going up. But that's, we figured that out. But the thing with a stick shift as well, and this is the kind of thing, is that I realized, uh, you know, I'm younger, we've got a bunch of friends, we're going out, we're going to go um, just kind of enjoy the evening, catch a movie together, and then you jump in the car. But of course, if you're young like I was, and you had a car like I had, it didn't all start. Who knows what I'm talking about? Who knows where I'm going with this? Okay, so this is how it worked, and, and, and this is exactly how it worked. Now, my car didn't look anything like that, nothing like that, but the principle is pretty much the same. If I wanted to get my car going, this is what I would do. We'd get somebody, usually the smallest, weakest person. We never told them that. We just said, hey, why don't you sit in the driver's seat? Because we needed the big people at the back to do the pushing, right? Put them in the driver's seat. We tell them, put it into gear, turn the car on, put your foot on the clutch, and then we start to push. And when it just gets enough speed, you lift your foot off the clutch, off you go, and we start. Who knows? Who's done this? Look at this. Say, hey, I'm not the only one who had one of those cars. There we go. So this is kind of what, what, what it would work like. But here's the thing, okay? This is the issue. Now, now, obviously, somewhere along the line, you know, you're pushing, you're pushing, it's not starting, and then you say to the person driver's seat, have you turned the car on? Oh, am I supposed to turn the car on? And then you're like, okay, we'll try again. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. The reason I give you that illustration, because what I'm talking about in Cornerstone Sunday is the same idea. Now, imagine if I needed to get this car going, and we all decided, hey, let's get this car going. And some people got to the front of the car and decided to push other people at the back of the car. Some people like, I'm just going to stand here at the window and push this way, push that. If you're all pushing in different directions, what's going to happen? You're going nowhere. 
But often what happens in churches, this is what happens. We find ourselves in situations, we're all pushing in different directions, but we're still thinking, why is this car not going? Because we're pushing in different directions. Now the cornerstone concept is exactly this. Let's all align what we're doing. Let's get behind some, let's get behind one or two key areas in the life of the church. Let's get a sense of what God wants to do in 2024, Trinity, and then let's push this thing. Let's get it going. I don't want to think that we've got a car that needs to be pushed started all the time that is not the case but we do want to get momentum and we do want to make some headway and so that's the whole concept and every time I talk about a cornerstone service please understand that that is what I'm talking about so if we stop we say so what are we going to focus on this year how should we align our efforts what is the kind of principles that we're working on here's the here's the one word I want you to think of enlarge for 2024 I want you to think of the word enlarge we need to enlarge Okay, and we're going to go to our scripture in Isaiah 54, and this is where it comes from, and I'm going to unpack that a little bit. Isaiah 54 reads as follows Sing, O barren one who did not bear, burst into song and shout, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate woman will be more than the children of her that is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the sight of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. And your descendants will possess the nations and will settle in the desolate towns. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Do not be discouraged, for you will not suffer disgrace. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the disgrace of your widowhood. And will, uh, of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth. He is called, for the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, like the wife of a man's youth when she's cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I abandon you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing wrath for a moment I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. And this is the word of the Lord for the people of God. So what's happening here in Isaiah? Well, the background in the book of Isaiah is very simple. This is within the context of the Babylonian captivity. Many commentators position this passage of Scripture and many other chapters in Isaiah as being in this whole time when they're in Babylon. They're saying, why has the Lord forsaken us? Where is God? Why do we feel abandoned? Is there hope? Can we look to the future? Can we see the future? What is going on? How do we understand? I really like that ringtone. But let's keep moving. <laughs> There's the sense of abandonment, the sense of desolation, the sense of hopelessness, the sense that there's absolutely no future. And they're sitting in this place and the prophet comes and says, but wait. You know, as I read this, I thought to myself, I mean, let's first jump over to, to chapter, Isaiah chapter 54, verse 4. I want you to take note of these, these words. And, and then I want us to talk about this just for a second. He says this, do not fear. Have you ever felt like you, I mean, we've gone through 2023, ever encountered any fear in your life? As you look at 2024, feel like maybe there's some fear, anxiety, worried about the future. Do you feel maybe despondent, maybe abandoned, maybe desolate? 
These are the words that he uses. Uh, you will not be ashamed. Do not be discouraged. Why? Because they are discouraged. You will not suffer disgrace. For, you're not, uh, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the disgrace of your widowhood. This idea of being a widow is a huge concept in the Bible. If you were a widow, you had no husband, had no kids, you were totally abandoned. You had no idea what you were going to do to survive. In fact, you had to do some really, really kind of, kind of, I don't know, you had to stoop very low just to get by in life if you're a widow and you're really considered a bit of an outcast. That's why when we read in the Bible where God says, take care of the widows, he's saying, I don't want you to, when, when we see the outcasts, we need to love them. Widows were really, really shunned in those days as well, very unlike today. As I read this, I thought to myself, you know, when we think of Trinity Church, we risk having feelings of, abandonment. We risk having feelings of hopelessness, rejection. And, and here's something interesting. We risk the under, the, that sense of feeling like second best. Most people that are sitting here today, 2023, 2022, were hard years. And for many of you, if you stopped and you're honest with yourself, you'd say, maybe we just felt a little bit like an outcast. For many of you, you spent your entire lives investing into something, giving your life towards a cause, towards a people. All these things, I mean, you committed, you gave financially, you gave time, you gave treasure, you gave everything. And after 20, 30 years, you're essentially shown to the door and said, you know, thank you very much. You can go now. We're done. We, we've got no, no space for you anymore. And that concept of feeling like an outcast, we could sit in a school and say, yeah, we're the outcasts. We're here trying to sit in a school, trying to pull things together because everything we invested in has been thrown away. And we risk getting into that place of rejection and feeling like we don't belong and we're not important. Let me tell you how this fits into our world as well. The current situation in the world, if you're a Christ follower, it's not a very pleasant place to be. There's almost like the hostility towards Christians. If you believe something and you stand for something, it's almost considered like, like, like you shouldn't do that. And the, the world is upside down. The things we thought were right seem to be wrong. The things that are right seem to be, be, be wrong. Everything just seems all upside down. And as a Christian, who are, we're basing our lives on the Scripture and the Word of God and saying, this is what I believe. You feel like you can be an alien. You can feel like you can be an outcast. You can feel almost rejected in the very world in which you grew up. But the powerful thing about this passage in Isaiah 54 is this. That God says, very simply, no more. We don't live in that place. We don't live in the place of abandonment. We don't live in the place of desolation. We don't live in the place of rejection. We are not second best. God is saying to the Israelites here, no more. You are blessed. Isaiah 51 verse 1. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Burst into song and shout, you who have not been in labor. Watch this. This is powerful. For the children of the desolate woman will be more than the children of her that is married, says the Lord. I want to I make a, a statement here, and I want you to hold on to the statement. No matter where you are, whether it's in your spiritual walk, whether it's in your personal life, no matter what you're going through right now, it could be very personal. Maybe sitting here today, nobody knows what's going on in your life. Maybe it, the way you're seeing the world... I want you to take note of this, and I want you to hold on to this. God specializes in bringing forth fruitfulness from desolation. God brings fruitfulness from desolation. We have a God. That is what He does. 
He goes into desolate places and He brings forth fruitfulness. For some of you, you might be feeling very hopeless today. For whatever reason it might be, I want you to know God specializes in making fruitful those desolate places. Have a look. Isaiah, this is Isaiah 43. I'm just giving you one or two quick verses. You can see this throughout Scripture. Isaiah 43 verse 19, we know this. God says, I'm about to do a new thing. We've heard this so many times. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness. You won't go to the wilderness to get lost. I will make a path for you. I will show you the way you should go. You won't be abandoned in the wilderness. As the Israelites walked through a desolate place, they found fruitfulness from their God. Whether it was manna or quail, there was fruitfulness because God specializes in bringing forth fruitfulness from desolate places. It says, and rivers in the desert. You don't go to the desert to find rivers, but you do go to God, and when there's a desert, He will bring a river. Because God specializes in bringing forth fruitfulness from desolation. In the New Testament, very simply put, you were dead, a place of death, a place of destruction. You were dead in your trespasses, in your sins, and then it says, but God made you alive. The very act of salvation is the fact that the living God comes to a desolate place called the earth where people are broken and lost in their sinfulness. He inserts himself into the narrative of, of history, of human history, dies on the cross and creates a fruitfulness, a reunion, a reunification, a reconciliation with God and brings forth, make that which was dead alive again. So what happens when God brings forth fruitfulness from desolation? What happens when the barren one receives God's blessing? Oh, I love this. Sorry, I'm getting excited. You don't have to get excited. I'm going to get excited. <laughs> Think about this for a second. What does the prophet say in verse 2? Enlarge the sight of your tent. Enlarge. Let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your course. What, what is he actually saying? He's saying, well, the barren woman had no children, but she's going to have so many children, you're going to have to build a really bigger tent because this tent's not going to hold this, all these kids coming in. And the woman, the widow's like, I'm a widow. I don't have kids. I'm barren. I'd... No, 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 no. God has showed up in a desolate place. God specializes in transforming desolation into fruitfulness. God is doing a beautiful thing. I was thinking about this. When we think about enlarging, we're celebrating the birth of a beautiful young girl today or two days ago. Do you know when a couple expect and they're expecting a new child and they, there's a new child coming, Maybe it's their first child, they go, oh, we're expecting. You know, always we, not her, but we, we're expecting. And as they, they go through this concert, they're like, 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 we're expecting. Everything starts to shift. The mind starts to shift, starts to think, we need to enlarge. We need to enlarge. You know, it's, we need a room. We've got to put a room aside for the baby. We got, oh, is the room going to be big enough? Is the house big enough? Do we have enough space? And so suddenly you start to enlarge physically, but then you're seeing large emotionally. I'm going to have to change the way I, 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 my routines. You know, maybe I can't play golf as much as I used to. Things might have to cut back a little bit. Got a family coming. You know, uh, responsibilities, the way, even the way you sleep when you have a baby, things have to kind of enlarge. You have to kind of create room to bring people into your space. 
You know, there's this concept of, if we think of what God's saying in Isaiah 50, 54, this idea of enlarging, this idea of fruitfulness, this idea of, of God just blessing and doing something beautiful. It's like, it's like mom and dad, to be, go to the doctor, and the doctor's doing, what's it, a sonar, and checking to see, let's see what's going on there, and, and then the doctor goes, oh, there's a heartbeat, and they all smile at each other, and there's that warm moment, and they all like share a look, and like, oh, it's beautiful. And then the doctor goes, oh. And then they go, oh, is there a problem? What's the matter? Is there a problem? He goes, uh, I'm picking up two heartbeats. <laughs> and then you see like a smile, which goes into like a frown, which goes into like a one room, one cot. All right. Oh, what's the matter? I think I'm picking up three heartbeats. That's the point when dad passes out, mom goes, what do we do now? Do you know why? Because suddenly you realize that when you've got a baby coming in, it's one thing. When you've got two babies coming in, it's two. When you've got three coming in, it's more, right? So enlarging means you've got to enlarge. And what, what Isaiah is saying is, hey, you need to stretch this tent out because things are going to happen. There's a sense of the blessing and the goodness of God coming. And so there's that whole idea. How does this relate to Trinity Church? I believe as we anticipate God's fruitfulness, we need to focus on enlarging ourselves. And I've put it this way. We need to increase our capacity. Increase our capacity to reach, to receive, and to disciple those God wants to send our way. I believe that. We have to increase our capacity. So what does this look like? I'm going to give you two quick things. And it's very practical, but I think this is going to help us. The first is this. This is one of the first places we need to enlarge. We need to think differently. We need to think differently. And I've written it that way, think differently, but I'll say this. Think bigger. We have to think bigger. We can't allow our mindsets to be closed off. We have to think bigger than the way we've always thought. And we've, we've used the scripture in Romans chapter 12. Renew, uh, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Something has to shift in our minds that we start to expand the way we think of all that God wants to do. If you're sitting there and you know that God's going to bring blessing, you know there's fruitfulness, He wants to bring people in, we need to open up our hearts, our minds, and say, how can we bring people in and love them when they come in? A famous quote that is attributed to Albert Einstein, but apparently he did not say it, is this. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. We don't want to do the same thing over and over again. We live in a different world. The world has shifted. The world has changed. We need to change the way we approach our reach, the way we approach our receive, the way we approach our disciple so that we can have maximum capacity to bring people in. We have to think differently. We have to shift and we have to think big. Very important. Everything has changed. For starters, we're not, sit, we're not sitting in a sanctuary. We're sitting in a school. Now, I'm stating the obvious. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we are disadvantaged or desolate or on the outside. It means that we have been given a new opportunity to think differently, to pivot, and see how we might actually reach into our community. And instead of maybe having a come-see mentality, we should have a go-tell mentality and see how we can bring people in. One thing happens, very important for us to understand, throughout history. If people came into this church that lived 2,000 years ago and sat in this church, they would, might think we're heretics. They, some people think, because I'm not wearing a tie today, maybe I'm a heretic. 
I don't. I just think I'm feeling a bit more relaxed today. But things shift all the time. Important principle we have to know. The message never changes. The method changes. The message never changes. And if we understand that concept, <coughs> well, we can grow into all that God's got for us. Very important for us. Enlarging starts with our thinking. The second point is this. We need to enlarge, and I've used the word, our house or our structure. The NLT says this. It says, enlarge your house, build this, and then spread out your home. So how do you enlarge your home? How do you enlarge your house? Well, the first thing we think of when we think of enlargement is this, and this is the misconception. The misconception we have with enlarging is a brick upon a brick, a property, a building, we've got to build, build. So we think of the practical, actual, physical building that needs to take place. But here's an interesting thing to take note of. How many really big sanctuaries and cathedrals are there out there that are just empty? A building does not make a church. See, think different. Now, I'm not saying buildings are bad. I believe in them, and we need to, in future, we're going to have to build and see what we can do as a church. But what I'm saying is if we use that as a big obstacle of why we cannot reach, then we're never going to move forward. We have to say that the building does not make the church. The people make the church. That's very important. Amen. Now, here's another thing I'll say to you as well. Question, Sugarland. How many houses are there in Sugarland? Don't have to give me an answer, but think about that for a second. Now, let me ask you another question. Of all the houses in Sugarland, how many homes are there? You understand what I'm saying? Because a house does not make a home. Amen. You see, this is a church. It might not have a steeple, but this is a church. Because this is where the love of God is. This is where the goodness of God is. This is where we come together. We love one another. We support one another. We hear for one another. We have to think differently. We have to shift. We have to pivot in all these things. We build the church when we spread out our home. Not our house, our home. When we allow the space in our heart to grow for one or two more people. The space in our groups to grow for one or two people ourselves putting ourselves out an alpha group to bring in one or two more people when we say i can spread myself out so that those that god wants to bring in there's capacity in my heart to love just one more person we have to increase our capacity enlarge ourselves we build the church when we increase our capacity to receive to reach to receive and to disciples those that god wants to send our way i'm going to give you the three areas, and then I'm going to close. This is not going to take long. Trust me. You can believe me this time. <laughs> three areas I want us to focus on this year. One is evangelism. Very important. Evangelism. We have to. I was sitting having a conversation with somebody this week saying, there is so much that we can do that we need to do, but we can't always expect the same people to be doing everything. We have to bring people in. We have, well, go out and tell and then bring them in. We have to build the church. Evangelism is imperative. Now, the second point there is discipleship. But let me tell you this. You cannot disciple people that you haven't reached. So we can focus on discipleship, which we do. But if you don't have anybody to disciple, there's no discipleship. So let's get people in and then let's disciple them into the way that God wants us to go. So 
on evangelism, we have to be creative. We have to open up our hearts. We have to think very creative. I'm going to talk more about this on Tuesday night, in our team meeting night that's happening. Please take note of that. But then on discipleship, creating a holistic kind of comprehensive structure from reach all the way through to the point where we're on, we, we're on the journey to sanctification, to perfection. And the third point that we've already started on is groups. I really believe that that is a very key and strategic way for us to grow. And we're going to be making a lot more resources available, helping you be more engaged in group ministry as well and see what we can do to help you with that. So those are three key points that I'm going to be focusing on this year. And these are three points that I want you to get behind as well. And let's see how we can drive this to what God wants to do with Trinity. Let's go back. Isaiah 54 verse 2. Enlarge the sight of your tent. Let, your curtains, the, let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. And let's grow with all that God's got for us this year. Amen? Amen. Amen.